Hello, travelers. This is Isabella coming at you with a very special surprise. This episode, this red eye, is actually one of our Patreon episodes, and normally we upload our Patreon red eyes the last Thursday of the month. But this one we decided to upload two weeks early, given the events and interviews of the week. Wink, wink. Putting this on our main feed is a little special treat, and it's actually only going to be available for 48 hours. So it's currently Thursday morning, and by Saturday morning, I will have deleted it. So if you want to listen to this whole thing, you gotta get on it. Don't dally. And if you miss it, well, you're gonna have to come over to our Patreon. I mean, this is the type of content we upload over there. I hope you enjoy this episode, and I hope you enjoy your stay. Until next time. Hey there, travelers. I'm Isabella. I'm Riley. I'm Angelica. And this is a True Crime International Red Eye. Are we taking shots or did I pour one out for no reason? I, I'm, You're just taking shots. I'm just I'm just <laughs> drinking wine. Okay, then I'm the only one doing a shot mm. of liquor. Shot of I'll liquor. take a big gulp. One, two, three, shoot. What is My it? My lifestyle is what was it? question everything. Vodka. Ew. <sighs> what? Why take shots of vodka when there vodka are is so no many bueno. other liquors? <laughs> I only have a bit of whiskey left, and I didn't want to waste it on a shot. Mm. And vodka as a shot is good if it's been in the freezer, and mine's been in the freezer. Oh, okay. Works. Like, a shot of vodka that hasn't been in the freezer is not very nice, but one that's been in the freezer is a whole lot smoother. So that's the only time I'll do a shot of vodka. All righty. So, Isabella, what what are we doing today? Where are we going? What are we talking about? We are going to multiple places. Uh, The where is not as important as the what and the who. So as we established in our last Red Eye, we're sort of making a a theme, like a system of doing things because before it was just kind of a whatever sounded cool with Red Eyes. But now Riley is always going to be doing uh, white collar crimes. Angelica, for some reason, landed on (laughs) supernatural things. This is, remains a mystery to all of us. And I'm covering conspiracy theories, which makes me very happy because a good conspiracy theory to me is a lot of, a lot of fun. Um, so today I've got like, I've got a huge one. So grab yourself a drink, yeah. grab yourself a tinfoil hat. Buckle up, buckle <laughs> in. Whoa, that is not a good one to say for today's case. Oh. Um, st- uh, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Put the saddle on your horse and get riding. Yeah, that's better. I love, I love. Good. Yeah. Um, today we're talking about the death of Princess Diana, which is not it's not an exaggeration for me to say that her death was one of the defining moments of the 20th century. And that was the century that contained both world wars. Diana's death was massively influential. And actually, I was in England when she died. It was my very first time being in England. I was only 14 months old. Oh. (laughs) And we were in London the day after she died. And my parents, like, they used to live in London. They're super familiar with the city. I mean, I mean, come on, it's a huge 
metropolitan city. It's one of the most significant cities in the world. And they said the day after Diana died, it was silent. Like yeah. completely silent. And that's how impactful this was. Um, just a disclaimer, today we're talking about a whole bunch of theories surrounding her death. And they're just that. They're theories. We don't know the real thing. I'm not endorsing any of these theories. Well, I'm already burping. <laughs> Great start. Um, these are just conspiracies and there's a lot of them. So uh, before we dive into the whole story of her death, I want to put it into some context, specifically, well, particularly, I should say, because our listeners are wide ranging. They come from all over the world and I can't expect all of you to know the full story. I can't expect all of you to know who all the royals are. So I want to start by putting everything into context. Um, let's start by talking about who each of the royals are. Not all of them, obviously, just the ones that are somewhat important to the story. Mm -hmm. So we have the queen, obviously. I do not need to explain who she is. <laughs> the queen is married to a man named Philip, Prince Philip. He is old as fuck. He's going to be 100 this year. Oh my fucking God. He's so old. He's so old. And Philip will come up a lot in this story later on. So remember Philip. And Elizabeth, Queen Elizabeth and Prince Philip have four children. There's Edward, who is completely unimportant, although my parents did see him once at a pizza restaurant in London. So that's there's that. Cool. Um, and then there's Anne, who seems fine. There's Andrew. And let's just take a second to say, fuck you, Prince Andrew. You are the scum of the earth. <laughs> if you died right now, I would take a shot in happiness. Because Oy. he was best... No, 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 no. He was best buds with Jeffrey Epstein. Mm -hmm. He was yeah. best fucking buds with Jeffrey Epstein. And he has been accused time and time again by girls who were underage at the time when they met him. And it's a it's a whole thing. Prince Gross. Andrew is horrible. Yeah. He's horrible. Also, he he makes his friends call him sir. Ew. Right? Gross. Prince Andrew. No, I hate him. And then there is Charles. And Charles is the most important because he is the oldest and therefore the the heir to the throne when the queen dies charles takes over although i do have a theory that the queen is trying to outlive charles because she doesn't think he can do it and she just wants to go straight to william <laughs> <laughs> the gap between like i charles wouldn't be king for that long though like he's getting older too mm -mm. exactly so like, it charles would be is... it would be like a quick transition Oh yeah, like uh, if if Charles is ever king, he is not going to be king for more than ten years. No way. Yeah. Yeah. No way. Um. So Charles was married to Diana, and this is why Diana was as famous as she was. And together they had two children, William and Harry. And those are the people that I'm sure people, our listeners know, our listeners are the most familiar with. William yeah. and Harry are very famous. I remember watching both of their weddings. Well, I mean, Harry's was only a couple years ago. I love Harry. Oh, Harry is by far my favorite royal. Yep, because he's by not anymore. Because he's exactly. No <laughs> and actually, a bit one of the biggest reasons he's not a royal anymore is because of what happened to his mom. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. William doesn't really have a choice because he is the heir to the throne. So, like, I don't fault him for it. But at the same time, I'm just like, eh, with William. Uh huh. Charles, I do not like. Andrew can go fuck himself. <laughs> okay so a little bit of background on charles he was definitely a playboy in his youth he slept around he definitely ghosted girls or like you know the 60s 70s version of ghosting girls and like 
whatever. I'm not. I'm not gonna shit on him for that because you know everyone sleeps around at some point. In yeah. Their life. Well, I am. Do. I am just gonna say. Feel like it happened because he was a royal. Because you look at that guy. He's not hot. Nope. And no. and he's not hot. They on the crown. They cast this beautiful man to play him, and it's just like. Oh, uh, the guy no. that plays him on the crown does such a good job. I love that Such actor. A good job. He's in this movie yeah. called uh, God's Own Country, and it is one of the most beautiful movies I've ever seen. And you get so, to see his penis. Sorry. Oh, oh my god. <laughs> anyway, Charles, the real Charles, met the love of his life, Camilla, not Diana, Camilla, in 1970 at a polo match. Uh, Charles and Camilla are married now. They got married in, I believe, 2005. Camilla is from a rich family and she definitely grew up upper class, but she was in no way nobility. She was not aristocratic in any way. Mm -mm. And so the royal family was not okay with Charles marrying her. But also, Charles wasn't ready to get married. And even though they loved each other, Charles was stupid and he left for navy service in 1972 but he didn't ask camilla to wait for him or anything he wasn't like you know i want us to be together he was just like bye and left bye. um camilla's family wanted her to be married and i always thought that it was camilla that wanted to be married and then i learned this and i was like whoa so uh her family because they were upper class you know they had an image to maintain and when the chance of her potentially marrying a royal kind of went out the window because Charles left for Navy service. Her family, her own parents, uh, posted an announcement in the local newspaper announcing the engagement between her and a man named Andrew Parker Bowles, even though they weren't engaged. But this kind of forced them to get engaged through social pressure because now everyone thought that they were engaged. Oh my God. Right? That's what in the world? Okay, that's toxic, bro. Okay, the royal family, and then all like the the British aristocracy, and you know, upper class rich people, they suck. Mm, Yeah, they really for real. So Camilla got married in 1973, and Camilla and Charles remained close, and uh, they definitely had affairs. 100% 100% had affairs. But Charles was also close with Andrew Parker Bowles as well, even though he was totally sleeping with his wife. Um, cool. And they were so close. Charles was so close with Camilla and Andrew that they made Charles the godfather of their firstborn son. But now Charles is that child is, well, that person's a man now, but is that person's stepfather and godfather. Weird. Yeah. But in, like, that's how life be. Yeah, that's how, that's how they do. That's how that's how the royals do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Keep it in the family. Now let's move on to some background on Diana. She did come from an aristocratic family. A lot of people like to say that oh, she was a commoner that married into the royal family. No, she was not. She was more royal than the royals because her family, her her aristocratic family, dated back farther than the Windsors. Oh, wow. Mm. So she was really more royal than than Charles. Um, Kate, who married William, she was a commoner. A rich commoner, but a commoner. Meghan, also a commoner. But Diana was not a commoner by any means. She was born in 1961. Uh, Her family had 
butlers and governesses and maids and all that shit. She went to an expensive ass boarding school in Switzerland. Like they were they were upper echelon. Yeah. Her father wasn't Earl. Her father worked for Philip, I think, at one point, if I remember correctly. I didn't write this down in my notes. Uh, but when she was a kid, she played with Edward and Anne. They knew her. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, Diana was smart, but she wasn't she wasn't the best student. She she loved the arts, she loved music, she loved dancing, but she wasn't super academically inclined. And academics are not an indication of how intelligent someone is because she was mm-hmm. clearly a very intelligent person. Um, her family didn't care that she wasn't that good at school, though, because they were just like, eh, she'll find a rich husband. She'll be fine. Mm-mm. And like, that's not the best attitude, but I don't know why I kind of like it in this context. <laughs> yeah. Like, eh, she's she's not good at school, but it's fine. She's going to marry rich anyway. Yeah, she doesn't need to work. Well, I mean, technically, because she was essentially a royal, I mean, it's kind of like common knowledge. Like, she, like she's very obviously gonna marry rich so it doesn't matter as much she was bred to marry well and marry well she did so at 18 she moved to london uh her mother bought her a flat in london and that ain't cheap no it ain't she lived in that she lived in that flat with three of her friends and imagine if like our group of friends got an apartment together in some big city how much fun we would have Oh, oh sure. so much fun. So oh, much so, fun. so, so much fun. That's what Diana had with her friends for the brief time they all lived together in London. And she later recounted that that time was one of the happiest of her life. Because you're like young. Yeah. And free you're young, to you're do in a big whatever city, you want. You're with your friends. Yeah. You're independent for the first time. And it's, like, it's just got to be a blast. So when she was living with her friends in London, she worked as both a nanny and a kindergarten teacher. And one thing that's super important to know about Diana is she was so good with kids. Like, you know, those people that even if they've just met a child, even if it's a really shy child, the child will just like gravitate towards them. (laughs) Exactly. Because they just have that energy. Yeah. That was what Diana had. I do not have that with children. I don't know about you guys, but children just kind of look at me with suspicion. I like children, but I don't think I have that with children that I know of, at least. I can get along with children if they're like 10 or older. I think it's because I'm bad at small talk. <laughs> I really, truly my think mom, that's the reason. My mom, she listens to the show and she's not going to like that I'm telling this story, but I do not care. We were in Spain once when I was like 13. It was my first time in Spain. And she and I were sitting by the pool. And this little, well, this this father was walking by with a little girl. She could not have been older than two, probably probably a little bit younger than two. And she was smiling. She was happy. She was just toddling about, being a little girl. And uh, she looked at my mom, and my mom looked at her. And my mom smiled and waved, and she was like, "Hi." And that little girl, I shit you not, I watched this happen, burst into tears. <laughs> oh no! And it is one of my favorite stories Bro. to tell because I saw the whole thing, and I always bring it up. And she's never happy when I bring it up. And it was only a matter of time for me to tell that story on the podcast. That would be me. That would very much uh, be me. Me? It'd be the opposite for me. I'd be the one crying. <laughs> okay, but we're off track. Back to Charles and Diana. Uh, they met at a polo match in 1977. There's a bit of a theme here. Rich people like polo matches. <laughs> but when they met, Diana was only 16 and Charles was actually dating her older sister, Sarah, and they were like on and off. They were one of those couples. They were a little bit dramatic, oh, okay. but obviously things didn't work out between them. 
obviously. <laughs> the royal family was putting a lot of pressure on Charles to get married because they were like, you are old as fuck. You need to get married because it looked it looks bad. So find a wife. Um, he wasn't old as fuck. He was like maybe 30. But they were like, you need to get yeah, married. Yeah, but in so. royal family terms, that's like. Yeah. In the 80s for a royal family, the fact that he was 30 and hadn't married, it was disgraceful. Mm-hmm. Um, so Charles and Sarah didn't really get along, so it didn't work out between them. Charles and Diana started dating, and I say that with air quotes, in 1980. Um, because they, the reason I say dating with air quotes is between the time they met for the first time and when they got married, they only met in person 13 times. One, three. And how long was it until they got married? So they started marrying and they started dating in 1980 and they got married in 1981. So like when in 1980, like was it even a year? Uh, I'm not entirely sure. Huh. That is. But Diana uh, really fit the image that the royals wanted for Charles when getting married. Like she was virgin nobility and you know came from such a good family she'd never really dated before she looked so young and innocent because she she was she was she was like what 18 19 yeah uh when so her birthday was july like early july and they got married july 29th 1981 she had just turned 20 years old yeah when they had the wedding of the century Wow. wow and that's crazy and so when they got engaged, they had this like press conference, and this is tradition, you know. You yeah. When there's a big event like that, the royals have press conferences, and during the press conference, they were asked if they were in love, and holy shit, Diana said, "Of course," and Charles goes, "Whatever in love means." Mm. Fuck you. <sighs> Fuck you. And she, Diana later said that she was traumatized by that. Yeah, I would be yeah. too. After they got engaged, Diana was moved into Buckingham Palace. And that sounds like such a fairy tale dream, but it it wasn't. She was alone all the time. Yeah, and this is in the 80s. You don't even have like phones and, and social media and stuff like that. Yeah, there was none of that. And she wasn't allowed to leave. Her friends weren't allowed to come visit her. So she was just isolated. It was like 1980s quarantine. <laughs> oh. And she had a really hard time. She was super lonely. She was super sad. The only time she really interacted with people was to like do wedding planning. And she did like some exercise classes and dance classes sometimes. And like that's it. She was super lonely and sad. And I feel bad. Yeah. So the wedding was July 29th, 1981, as we already said. It was a huge deal. My mom remembers watching it when she was a kid. Um, I think they was... I think my mom was living in the States at that point, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, her dad, my grandpa, woke her up early to make sure that she saw it because he was like, this this is important. And my grandpa's the sweetest. He just turned 89. Um, they had their first child, William, in 1982. So like right away. And then Harry came in 1984. Charles was actually disappointed because he wanted a girl for the second one. And he also really hated that Harry had red hair, which came from Diana's side. Bro, you don't get to pick your kid. Shut up. Also, red hair is the best. The men determine gender. So if anything, Charles, it's your fault. Yeah. <laughs> so Diana was pretty universally loved by the British people. Not just the British people, but like all the worldwide. people. Worldwide. I mean, even in, even in America. Oh, yeah. She is loved the world over. 
But the royals were like, eh. They loved the idea of Diana. But once Diana came in, they were less enthused. Um, so the royals do these like trips to various countries in the Commonwealth quite frequently. And during uh, Charles and Diana's first trip to Australia, uh, at this point, William was probably like, I don't know, seven or eight months old, something like that. Uh, Diana broke tradition because she wanted to be with her son during the trip when tradition was that uh, William would have been taken care of by a nanny the whole time for like three weeks. She wouldn't have even seen him. Mm Mm-hmm. And she was like, no, like, give me my fucking baby. Because, I mean, normally any new mother would do that. They'd be like, I'm not going to leave my child for three weeks. Exactly. And that's what she said. She was like, absolutely not. I don't care if this is tradition. Fuck you. This is my child. I'm his mother. (laughs) Yeah. He's going to be with me. And so that's what happened. And the Australian people just loved it. They aged up because they saw her being human. She was being a mother and she... When she interacted with people, she was so personable. She really cared. She was the people's princess. Exactly. And so people really started to love Diana after that. Like, they liked her before, but that really showed a more human side of her. Uh And man, Diana was an excellent mother to William and Harry. She took them to McDonald's, uh, which the royals didn't like, like... Royals going to McDonald's? What? Like, it's McDonald's. Like a the kid, future king of England going McDonald's. to McDonald's. Like, yeah. But when like, they would go, she would make them wait in line like everybody else. Same thing with amusement parks. Like she would take them to amusement parks, and they would go on rides, but they had to wait in line just like every other everyone else there. She took them on public transportation. Uh, she would take them to hospitals and homeless shelters as well because she really wanted them to understand the world outside of royalty yeah and she wanted them to understand their privilege which is awesome yeah yeah i feel like too many um kids who are well off like they just get things handed to them and that really Mm -hmm. takes away from their like real life experience and it teaches (laughs) exactly patience and humanity and yeah because a child like children are not patient typically but if you teach patience like they don't get everything they want the second that they want it. They go stand in line at McDonald's and they wait for their food like everyone else. Like, Yeah. I like yeah. that. I think the reason William and Harry... No. I know the reason William and Harry turned out as good as they did is because of Diana. Oh, yeah. Most 100%. Definitely. Like Charles did anything. Come on. Right. Um, She was also extremely charitable and personable, like I said before. But her charity work is probably what she's most famous for. She mm-hmm. shook the hands of and hugged people that had AIDS, which in the 1980s was a big deal because it was widely believed that you could get HIV or AIDS by simply touching a person that had it. And that's, we know now, is so not true. Yeah. Um, so she showed the rest of the world like, hey, that shit ain't true by embracing them. And yeah. in one interview, she's like, yeah, of course I gave them a hug. They have a horrible disease. They need a hug. You should hug them. But the royal family really didn't like that she got so much positive press, particularly getting so much positive press by breaking tradition. And <sighs> she was getting positive press over Charles and that they felt like that was taking away from the crown. Well, Charles is a fucking douchebag. So like, honestly, yeah, she deserves more press. Right? <laughs> yeah. Like, come on, Elizabeth. What do you expect? <laughs> She's She connects with people much yeah. more than you do. She connects with people more than any. Queen Elizabeth... 
I can't say that I particularly like her, but in many ways, not every way, not every way, but in many ways, I do respect the queen. Well, yeah, she's a queen. She actually, the queen was uh, the one who made it so the royals don't make any money off of taxes. She made that decision. Good. Legit. Yeah. All right. So Diana, one of the one of the other things that made the royals not really like her was how open she was about her life, particularly after the after the divorce. Um, she opened up a lot about her mental health struggles. She had experienced postpartum depression. She had struggled with bulimia, which Charles didn't help because at one point he put his hand on her waist and said, a bit chubby here, aren't we? Yeah. Awful. Really fuck you. Also, what yeah. year did they get divorced in? We'll talk about that in a minute. Oh, okay. I'll go through the divorce. Um, Diana had self self-harmed. She had attempted suicide. She felt a lot of pressure from the media. And especially the paparazzi who would follow her relentlessly. And that's a huge part of the story, but we'll come back to that. Charles and Diana were so clearly never in love, um, at least not long term. I feel like maybe they had small bursts of it. Yeah. But ultimately, they just didn't really like each other as human beings. And their marriage crumbled. For a while, the royals pressured them to stay together. Um, but it got to the point where they both cheated on each other. Charles cheated with Camilla, obviously. Yeah. And Diana cheated with her writing instructor and several others as well. And honestly, I don't blame her because yeah. she got married when she was 20. She got engaged when she was 18. She had never really dated before. She had never tried things out, you know? And yeah. they were like, I don't condone cheating, but they were in a particularly unique situation where I feel like it was fine. Because if they were a normal couple, they ne- they never would have even they never would have even gotten married. No, there was no, very little choice here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So in their situation, I do not care that they cheated on each other whatsoever. But in the end, the queen was actually the one that told them to get a divorce because they were cheating on each other, and it was public knowledge at that point. She was like, you know what, your being together is worse for us than you being yeah. separated. So get a divorce. And they had to go through a shit ton of negotiations and it, it made Diana really nervous because she was afraid she was going to lose her kids. Um, she didn't though. And the divorce became final in August 1996. And Diana died less than a year later. Way to not make it subtle at all. Yeah. Like they were like, all right, she's gone. Got to do something about it. Let's talk a bit about Diana's life after the royals. So... She actually maintained her title. She was still Diana, Princess of Wales, and she was still given uh, royal protection, so like royal bodyguards. But that means no one was ever solely looking out for her best interest because they were working for the royals. But we'll come back to that. Um, after the divorce, the, fam- the royal family really expected her to kind of fade into the background, but she didn't. She was far too popular. And like I said before, she spoke candidly about her struggles with herself, with the royal family. And that really pissed them off because in the royals, like the royals just don't speak candidly about stuff like that. They always Mm-mm. keep that shit to themselves. It's like what happens in Buckingham Palace stays in Buckingham Palace. And they just didn't like. It's very shady. Yeah. And I think they thought that her speaking candidly about things like her mental health struggles and all that would make people dislike her. But it had the opposite effect, which of course it did, because she didn't project like being perfect or being better than anyone. No. She was a human. 
And by talking about her struggles, man, she just made herself seem even more human and more relatable. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a really great documentary called Diana in her in her own words mm-hmm. and it's a super candid interview she gave before she died and after she got divorced you can find it on youtube i highly recommend watching it it was you... on netflix too for a long time yeah like you can find it anywhere it, it is everywhere and i i really highly recommend watching it so even after the divorce even after the divorce she continued to use her status to help people because that was her big thing was she wanted to use her fame and popularity to do some good in the world and that's one of the reasons she was so popular and has stayed so popular. She worked to help people with leprosy, HIV and and AIDS, like I already said. She helped people struggling with mental health issues, which of course she had. And I think if she hadn't died, she would have led the charge for, you know, the mental health conversation and would be a huge proponent of mental health today. Mm -hmm. Because the conversation around mental health today is so different than it was in the 90s. Yeah. Oh, much different, thankfully. But... Yeah. She also helped victims of domestic violence, and she even visited a domestic violence shelter in New York when she was still married. Uh, But she went there with no cameras because uh, this place is secret. We don't even know the name of the one she went to because it needs to stay secret for the people that need it. But she went there because she genuinely cares. It was not a publicity stunt. No, because, I mean, why would she go to a place where no press can be if it was a publicity stunt, you know? Exactly. Because, I mean, I think part of the reason why she felt so passionately about, like, helping people in a domestic violence shelter um, was because that she was a little bit of a victim of domestic violence herself and like manipulation and stuff like that and so she kind of understood the situation that they were in and wanted to make sure that that she could help them and keep them safe exactly um but her biggest work outside of the royal family was she became a big part of an international effort to ban landmines and she even walked through fields in Angola, which had unexploded landmines because she was really trying to raise awareness about it. I know, it is terrifying. People who profited off of the military-industrial complex and arms dealing and all that shit were none too pleased with her work regarding landmines. But like I said before, even after the divorce, she she was still incredibly popular and loved the world over. And at one point, she was the most photographed person in the world. Oh, and wow. Let me just That's... point out, like, she had some style. Yeah. She oh, had yeah. major style. So she deserved all those photographs for being the person that she was and, like, looking how she did. She was awesome. Yeah. One of my favorite pictures of her is a picture of her dancing in this gorgeous black dress with John Travolta. I love it. Yep. <laughs> was that the revenge dress? The black one? Yeah, remember her revenge dress after she got divorced? It, like, went off the shoulders. It was, like, a sweetheart neckline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it must be that. Yeah, that dress is iconic. So, in 1995, she met Hasnat Khan, who was a Pakistani heart surgeon. And many people believe, including people that were close to Diana, that he was the love of her life. The love of her life. He didn't love all of the attention that Diana got. Yeah. Oh, I know. It'd be awful. And 
we don't know why uh, Hasnat Khan himself, he's still alive today. Uh, he's given multiple reasons why, but Diana ended things with him in 1997. I don't want to give a reason because there there are multiple out there, but we just we just don't know. Yeah. And that, that theory is not what we're focusing on today. Yep. After Hasnat Khan, she started dating a man named Dodi Fayed, who was the son of an Egyptian billionaire. And his father used to own Harrods in London, which is a giant expensive store. And also the Ritz in Paris, which A, wow, and B, is very important to the story. <sighs> okay. 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 <laughs> so Dodie was actually, I, I learned this today and I was like, wait, what? Dodie was a producer on the film Chariots of Fire, which is a super iconic film. I don't think I knew that either. He was also a, a producer on the movies Hook, which had Robin Williams in it. Uh-huh. Um, which is a really sweet movie, and um, The Scarlet Letter, the Demi Moore one. Oh, God. He was a producer on all of those movies. And I was like, Dodie, is what? Is Demi still with Ashton Kutcher? God. <laughs> Fuck. I love EZA. I'm going to go Sorry, watch it. It's so funny. <laughs> Both Hasnat Khan and Dodi Fayed were Muslim, and Islamophobia definitely plays a role in one of the theories that we're going to discuss. So I wanted to just say it now so it's in your brain for the future. Okay, okay. All right, so Diane and Dota. Dota. Diane. Diane and Dota. Diane and Dota. Uh oh. <laughs> That's the one. Diane. <laughs> wow, okay, I just said that with so much like confidence. Diane and Dota. <laughs> Diana and Dodie started. I'm sorry. <laughs> Di Diana and Dodie started dating in July 1997, and they spent six weeks sailing on the Mediterranean on Dodie's dad's huge ass yacht. Like they were, they're, they're as high class as you get. So of course they were sailing the Mediterranean on a huge ass yacht. Yep. Um, at one point, William and Harry did join them, so they did meet Dodie. And the paparazzi took pictures whenever they could. Like, whenever they were near the shore, like, the paparazzi would be there. And they got some very famous pictures of Diana in her swimsuit and some other pictures of her kissing Dodie. Dodie had been engaged to a Calvin Klein model named Kelly Fisher. And the day the photos of him and Diana kissing were released, he called Kelly to break off the engagement, which, not great. No, no. Not great, Dodie. Not Great. Definitely not. The royals were not a fan of all these headlines. Not a fan whatsoever. Well, I bet, you know what? It's so annoying because it's not her fault. She's not a fan of it either. Like, Jesus. Yeah. Mm, put a pin in that. So, um, actually, quick story. I used to work in this Middle Eastern restaurant. And one day, one of my coworkers asked me if I was Lebanese, which to this day is one of the weirdest guesses I've ever gotten for my accent. Because I understand my accent's weird. But Lebanese, really? And he <laughs> was like, yeah, uh, he he was Egyptian. And he said that the Lebanese people tend to be among the palest in the Middle East. So you can never tell him because we worked in a Middle Eastern restaurant. He thought maybe I would be Lebanese. And I was like, no, I'm British. And he was like, oh, you know Princess Diana? And I was like, of course. Oh, yeah. And he was like, Dodi Fayed was from Alexandria in Egypt, and that's where I'm from. And I was like, cool, bro. Oh, nice. That's actually kind of cool. Yeah. He was a lawyer in Egypt, but he had to flee the country after the Arab Spring, but he never explained to me why. And I've always been curious. Yeah. Very interesting. I would be too. 
Zaki, I still want to know. <laughs> Why did you have to flee? If you're out there. Zaki, if you ever happen to be on our Patreon listening to this, do tell me why you had to flee Egypt. All right, so let's go through the events of Diana's last day alive. This is the official story of what happened that day. So I'm going to tell the official story, and then we're going to backtrack and go through some of the theories surrounding her death. So this is the official story. On August 30th, Diana and Dodie went to Paris with plans to go back to London the following day. So that when they woke up, they were on the yacht and then they flew into Paris and they were like, they were just going to spend the night there and then they were going to head back to London. Diana told her contacts in the press that she would have a big announcement the following day. Uh, Always tell someone ahead of time what your announcement is. Always. Just yep. tell one person, one person, one your person. most trusted friend, Tell someone. Tell someone. Never just, never say that. Never say you're going to have something. Never, if you're leaving your house and you're like, hey, I need to tell you something later. Text it or like put it in your, like save it somewhere on your phone. Something. Because shit, we never found out. We never found out. When they got to Paris, Dodie showed Diana some of his family's expensive properties in the city. One of them was called Villa Windsor. And it was called that because uh, the former disgraced King Edward VIII used to live there. And that was the king who abdicated because he wanted to marry Wallace Simpson, who had been divorced twice. If you're not familiar with that story, that king was Queen Elizabeth's older brother. So Queen Elizabeth was never supposed to be queen. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So uh, Queen Elizabeth's uncle, who was her father's older brother, he was the king. He abdicated from the throne because he loved this woman named Wallace Simpson, who was an American woman that had been divorced twice. But the royals did not like this back in the 1930s whatsoever. Um, So he abdicated to be with her because he loved her more than he loved being a royal. Anything. Yeah. And so then uh, Queen Elizabeth's father became king. Cool. So the fact that they were in King Edward's Paris home, come on. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. That's real. That's real nuts. That afternoon, Diana went to get her hair done. And while she did that, Dodie went to a jeweler to pick up a ring that he had had sized. An engagement ring? Mm. Maybe? Mm. Cough up the info, jeweler person. What it looked like. Yeah. Could it be an engagement ring? We are going to come back to the ring. Okay. 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 Diana did wear a ring that Dodie had given her. Like she wore that ring that night, but it wasn't the same ring that he'd picked up that day. It was a different ring. Okay. Gotcha. So after they went and did their errands or whatever, they met up at the Ritz. They relaxed in the Imperial suite, as you do when you're rich as hell. Yep. And then they went to Dodie's apartment to get ready for dinner, which is weird. Like, why not just meet up at the apartment? I don't know. I don't know. I don't. I, that, I just don't get that part. Oh, well. Rich people stuff, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. Exactly. Rich <sighs> people stuff. I mean, his dad did own the Paris Ritz. Yeah. So. Yeah. Maybe they wanted to like have a couple drinks there or something. Yeah. But they were in the suite. I don't know. I don't know. Room service. Room service. True. True, 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 true. Um, they ended up going to this fancy restaurant for dinner, but there were too many paparazzi there, so they didn't, they didn't end up eating there. They just left. And they went... Back to the Ritz for dinner. Um, other diners 
at the Ritz restaurant reported that Diana had been crying at her table, mm-hmm. which this could have been something totally unrelated. Like, we don't know why she was crying, but she was crying. However, in that restaurant, there were also too many paparazzi, like diners pretending to be paparazzi. Oh, God. Sorry, paparazzi. paparazzi pretending yeah. to be diners. <laughs> My bad. Um, so they ended up eating their dinner in a suite in the Ritz. Cool. After dinner, they decided to go back to Dodie's apartment. I think that's where all their stuff was, so it made sense. Yeah. The head of this, the head of security at the Ritz was a man named Henri Paul, and he ended up being the one to drive the car that night. Henri had been drinking Ricard, which is a French liqueur, and it's stronger than wine, but he didn't appear drunk to anyone that he was working with that night. However, he didn't appear drunk because he was mixing the alcohol with drugs, antidepressants, and Prozac to be exact, and they kind of concealed how drunk he really was, but his Oof. blood alcohol level when tested later was three times the legal limit oh in France. Oh my god. Right? That's nuts. Yeah. Dodie wow. spoke to Henri to create a plan to avoid the paparazzi, which seemed normal and reasonable because they had been so invasive, right? Yeah. So Dodie's plan was to send out a decoy Mercedes, like their regular Mercedes, uh, from the Ritz out the front door with all of their normal bodyguards in it. And then they would go in a smaller Mercedes with Henri driving and an- another bo- bodyguard named Trevor Reese Jones. Okay, okay. So basically, like, the the decoy went, the paparazzi followed, and then they left. Okay. Even though... Henri wasn't he wasn't a driver he was the head of security he wasn't a driver um and he wasn't supposed to be working at that time his shift had actually ended hours before he drove diana and dodie that night okay however dodie's plan failed and the paparazzi followed them okay this is the official account of what happened after they left so the paparazzi picked up pretty quick that they had been duped And 10 paparazzi spread out between five cars, three scooters, and two motorcycles started following the car that all four of them were in. Neither Diana nor Dodie had their seatbelts fastened. This is extremely important. Dodie told Henri to take an indirect route back to his apartment to try and shake the paparazzi. Henri started losing control of the car just before entering the Ponda Ponda Alma tunnel. And the speed limit at the tunnel was 31 miles per hour or 50 kilometers per hour. And the car was going 65 miles per hour or 105 kilometers per hour. So like more than double the speed limit. Oh, God. At 12.22 a.m., the Mercedes lightly hit this white Fiat Uno that was also entering the tunnel-ish before spinning out of control and hitting the 13th pillar of the tunnel. Henri and Dodie died instantly. And actually, I didn't include a picture in the script, but you can look it up. The the car, holy shit, it is like an accordion. It is just crumbling. Oh my yeah, God. It, is, it, is, it does not look good. It is awful. It is not surprising that people died. No. Um, so Henri and Dodie, they died instantly. And all of this happened within five minutes of leading of leaving the Ritz, which is nuts. Some paparazzi took pictures and others tried to help. So there's the good and the bad for you. The first call to the police happened three minutes after the crash. Diana actually had few external injuries, just a gash on her forehead, and then she had a low pulse. 
Police arrived on the scene at 12.30 a.m., so only eight minutes after the crash. Rescue workers arrived two minutes later, and they said Diana was conscious and receptive, but she was upset, which of course, she was just in a horrifying crash. At 12.33, Diana was cut out of the wreckage by firefighters, but then the physical shock of being moved in that state put Diana into cardiac arrest. They tried to stable her, before moving her, which is actually the standard practice in France, but it has been heavily criticized by both Brits and Americans because in both the UK and the US, it's standard procedure to just like scoop and go. Yeah. Like, get people out of there, like get them to the hospital as quickly as possible. Work yeah. in the ambulance. Exactly. Whereas in France, it's common, it's it's standard procedure to work on the patient at the scene before moving them, make sure they're stable. At 12.45, a French doctor gave her fentanyl and hypnovel to try and calm her down, which actually, when combined, those drugs can have the ability to cause heart and respiratory issues or even failure. Oh. oh. Jeez. And at 1 a.m., Diana had a heart attack. The- oh. They tried to give her CPR for 18 minutes before she was stable enough to move, to be, to, to be moved. Uh, but then they had to wait 10 minutes to get approval to move her. They couldn't just do it. They had to get approval. And in the end, Diana wasn't actually taken to the hospital until 1.41 a.m. And then the ambulance drivers, the ambulance driver, sorry, was told to go slowly because they were worried that high speed would make her condition worse. At one point, her blood pressure was so low that they actually stopped the ambulance entirely to try and care for her. Which man, I like. I yeah. just, I feel I like don't like that. They should be trained to give care while driving at high speeds. Is that not yep. how like care is given in the U.S.? I don't. I mean, they're in France, so it doesn't. Yeah, I don't know. But she actually didn't get to the hospital until two o six a.m. Even though the hospital in question was only three and a half miles away, or like five and a half kilometers, roughly. It was only it was only three and a half miles away from the Pont d'Alma tunnel. Tunnel. Yeah, and it wasn't even the closest hos- hospital, but it was the one that the first responders thought would be the best equipped to handle her injuries. But it should not have taken that long. No, to it get. shouldn't have taken like forty five minutes to get there. It wasn't. It was more like half an hour ish to get there. Well, close. They to had to hour. wait to get her in the in the yeah. ambulance too. So she could have gotten there really quickly. Yeah. But shortly after arriving to the hospital, she had another cardiac event. And it's only then that doctors realized that she was bleeding internally because Mm. what had happened was her heart had shifted all the way over to the right side of her chest and her pulmonary vein was torn. That is terrifying. Right? They tried to resuscitate her, but at 4 a.m. on the dot, she was officially declared dead. Now, Trevor Reese Jones, who was the bodyguard in the car, was the only survivor, but his face was shattered, Mm. which, awful. And the French investigation into the crash lasted three years and ultimately came to the conclusion that it was an accident. Now the theories... The conspiracy part of our episode. There are so many <sighs> theories into this, and it is a huge rabbit hole. If you're interested, you can find so many more theories than what I'm about to lay out. But there are two main ones that I want to discuss. 
The first is the military industrial complex, and then the second is the MI6 and royalty involvement in her death. Potential. Alleged. Whatever. So Dodi's father, whose whose name is Muhammad Al-Fayed, 100% believes that his son was murdered. And uh, he has led the charge in a number of conspiracies. And Muhammad's money, combined with his determination to find out the truth of his son's demise, helped lead the British inquest into the crash, which was called Operation Paget, which lasted from 2004 to 2008. Did they... Are you going to go over if they found anything? Yeah. Um, well, Operation Paget ultimately decided that it was an accident as well. Okay. But a lot of what they investigated in Operation Paget has is what has fueled the fire behind so many conspiracy theories. So you'll hear about it again. So I'm going to start with the military industrial complex because that one is shorter. And then the MI6 royalty one we'll get to after. And that one is uh, has a lot more meat to it. So for the military industrial complex, um, it's alleged... Well, as, we, as I discussed earlier, Diana was the most famous advocate for banning landmines internationally at that time. A lawyer named Michael Mansfield claims that Diana had a log li- a, had a long list of names written in her diary of prominent Brits that profited from arms dealings, specifically landmines, and that she was going to expose them. Mansfield is a self-described radical lawyer, but he is credible because he has the prestigious title of Queen's Counsel which is only given to the best and most experienced lawyers in Britain. Like he's not just, he's not like Saul Goodman from uh, Breaking Bad. Like he, he actually has some real credibility to him. He claims that Diana's list and her death are quote, not unrelated. However, he has never actually released this list. Like it could have been fake. But it also could have been destroyed by the people who killed Diana if this is how she died, right? But we'll never actually know. If he knew it existed, why would it couldn't have been destroyed? Could it have been? Unless they destroyed it after, but then he would already have it. Yeah, like he could have made copies, but he could also be threatened by you yeah. know, people that profit. Like giant corporations like Boeing profit massively off of the military industrial complex. And the total arms profits in 1996 exceeded 40 billion U.S. dollars, which is a lot. It's a ton. And we know that corporations will go to extreme lengths to protect their wealth. So, like, it's not, it's, to me, this is not an out there theory, but this is not the theory that I buy. And one thing we really need to take into account is that Mansfield was one of Muhammad Al-Fayed's lawyers and Muhammad al-Fayed was actively trying to prove that his son was murdered. Yeah. So he was being, Mansfield was being paid very well to prove that Dodie and Diana's deaths were the result of foul play. And, you know, that definitely throws a wrench into Mansfield's credibility. Like, I'm sure he's a great lawyer and he was hired by Muhammad al-Fayed. He clearly is a great lawyer, but it could definitely, this could definitely be a fabrication. Mm Mm-hmm. And the thing that really destroys th- destroys this theory for me is that uh, it doesn't posit how the crash was orchestrated. Yeah, that's what I'm like. I'm like listening, and I'm like, okay, but like, and yeah, but how did they and, pull it off? Like, you know, 
Like I can see like the motivation is there and the motivation is very clear and it's very believable, but they don't actually have a theory as to how it was done. So I'm like, this has, this has no backing. But the other theory, the biggest theory and the most popular theory is that Diana was killed by MI6 at the behest of the royals, specifically Philip. So the queen's husband. Now, this theory is huge and layered, and there are multiple versions. There are multiple versions to specific parts. It is, pardon the pun, a minefield of of a conspiracy theory. And if you want to know more, you can look it up yourself. I have cherry-picked the parts that I feel are the most compelling and hold the most water. Of, Of the conspiracy theories, this is the one I buy the most. Okay. I'm ready. So, Muhammad believes, above all, that Philip was the mastermind behind the whole thing. Not Charles and not the Queen. And this actually makes sense to me because they're the ones directly tied to the throne. They're the ones that sit on the throne or will sit on the throne. So in a way, they kind of have to keep their hands clean of some of stuff like this, you know? It makes sense. Um, yeah. And many members of the royal family can be quite passive, but Philip is not. He takes action and he always has. Muhammad testified in Operation Paget that Diana had told him while they were on the yacht in the Mediterranean that Philip and Charles were trying to get rid of her because they were none too pleased with her dating a tan-skinned, curly-haired Muslim man like Dodi because of the proximity that it would have to the future king, i.e. William. They think he was like a bad influence or something? It's more like... Yeah. Oh, yeah. So Muhammad claims that Philip is a racist mm-hmm. and a huge master manipulator. And I buy that yep, 100%. I'm not he, surprised at all. <laughs> nope. He says that he is the one that actually controls the royal family and runs the country while the queen is more like a figurehead, which, I mean, she is definitely a figurehead. And I 100% can see this being true. I'm like, Muhammad, you and I, we're on the same wavelength here. Philip's the one that looks like he's already been dead, right? <laughs> Philip looks mummified. <laughs> Literally, he's he's been dead for like ten years. He's just they like that's he's currently like, in the hospital. I don't think he's doing well. I can't imagine he is because he's been dead for ten years. Yeah, <laughs> he's like a hundred years old. He's he's a dead man in in a, a living man's body. Like, come on. Literally, he, he there's no soul behind those eyes. <laughs> oh, none whatsoever. And his family. <laughs> so Philip is from. Uh, Danish and Greek royalty, but his family was exiled from Greece. And also, I think his... Oh, I don't remember for sure. Someone close to him, like either his mother or his aunt, worked with the Nazis. And like there's, like, there's oh, some bad word. juju in Philip's side of things. Like 100%. I do not like Prince Philip. That's gotta yeah. go. But according to Muhammad, during their trip on the Mediterranean, Diana became pregnant which would mean that the future king of England would have a brown Muslim half-sibling. And this was like a no-go for the royals. And when I say the royals, I mean Philip. Yeah. Dumb. Shouldn't matter. Doesn't matter. Stupid. Yep. Yep. Like religion, we shouldn't even have to bring this up, but it's part of the theory. Yeah. It's so stupid. Muhammad said that Dodi was ecstatic about Diana being pregnant and proposed to her. But because of their status, the announcement had to be handled carefully. So according to 
Muhammad, it was actually Diana who tipped off the paparazzi because she had a lot of contacts in the press that she was close to and would occasionally tip them off like whenever it would benefit her. And so she tipped off the paparazzi on August 10th. Uh, while they were on the yacht. And that's when those pictures of them kissing were taken. And this is verified. Mm -hmm. This is actually true. This happened. Mm -hmm. We don't know, however, the true motivations of why she tipped them off. But under this theory, it was, it is speculated that this was a way to kind of introduce their relationship to the public without having to properly announce it. Like they it, they wanted to make it public knowledge that they were in a relationship and then it would make more sense for them to say that they were engaged and pregnant. Mm -hmm. And honestly, like, why else would she do it? She wouldn't have anything else to gain from it, really. She was already the most famous person in the world. Like, come yeah. on. So Dodie and Diana looked at rings together in Monte Carlo on August 20th and they picked a ring but they didn't have Diana's size, so they decided to get it sized and pick it pick it up in the jewelry store. Like, this jewelry store had a location in Paris, so they decided to pick it up there. And this is the ring that Dodie picked up the day that they died. This ring's a monster. And that is right? a huge ring. <laughs> That's oh, my just, word. This ring is fancy as shit. Like, it is just diamond central. It's Honestly, it's really gaudy, but yeah, I can see why it I'm would like... be... <laughs> I can see why it would be stylish in the 90s, and I think Dodie felt a lot of pressure because Diana's first engagement ring, which is so iconic, like he yeah. was competing with that. Yeah. And honestly, Diana's first engagement ring is gorgeous. Yeah, the one that's now on Kate. Yeah. So they arrived in Paris on August 30th, like we established. Muhammad claims that at 11 p.m. that night, Dodie and Diana called him to tell them that they were engaged and pregnant. And Muhammad said that he was so over the moon about this because... Honestly, he had wanted Dodie to settle down for a while because Dodie was like 42 at this time. But he said that they had asked him to keep it a secret because Diana wanted to tell William and Harry before they announced it publicly. And so Muhammad was like, that's fair. You know, secret safe with me. No problem whatsoever. How old were William and Harry at this time? 15 and 13. Okay. So remember when I said that Diana tipped off the press because she had a big announcement on August 31st? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Under this theory, it's believed to be... The that pregnancy and engagement yeah. announcement. Yeah. Muhammad believes that the royal family found out about this through MI6, who, Muhammad believes, had tapped Diana's phone. Diana's private phone conversations had been recorded in the past and even released to the public while she was still married to and feuding with Charles. So this is not outside the realm of possibility for MI6. No. Wiretapping is like the, a tale as old as time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. According to Muhammad... The influence all this would have on Harry and particularly on William was viewed as a threat by Philip. And so he decided he needed to dispose of Diana before this news got out. Again, Fuck we you, really Philip. don't like Philip. No. no. That living mummy just sucks. <sighs> Are they going to revoke my British nationality after this? <laughs> <laughs> no, because you're fighting for Diana. Well, no, that, that's all the more reason for them to take away <laughs> my... Because all British passports are issued in the name of the Queen, and so the Queen actually doesn't have oh, a passport. True. Huh. So it's believed that MI6, which, sorry, I should have said before, MI6 is British intelligence. Mm -hmm. Think James Bond. Yeah. It's the British version of the CIA, just for anyone who might not know. MI6 told Philip about the news. So Philip ordered the hit. Tony Blair, who was the prime minister at that time, approved it. 
and then MI6 put together the whole thing. In order to make the death of the most photographed person on the planet look natural, they had to be extremely careful. But because Diana was the most photographed person in the world, they decided to use it to their advantage because people would be able to believe it. They already didn't, like, the, the people already didn't really like the paparazzi because they were so intrusive in Diana's life. So it would be yeah. believable that they would have a hand in her quote-unquote accidental death. Yeah. And remember that white Fiat Uno in the tunnel with them that they mm -hmm. had bumped into before spinning out of control? It's believed that it was driven by an MI6 agent and that the Fiat hit the Mercedes on purpose. And then another agent on a motorcycle posing as a paparazzi flashed a strobe light, strobe light in Henri's face to discombobulate him and ultimately cause the crash. That's fucked up. Mm -mm. So the strobe light is something that was confirmed to be seen by uh, two other witnesses that were in the tunnel. And they said they saw the light flash near the car a few times. Uh, but the strobe light in that instance of like, you know, high speed car and then crash and important people are in it. Um, in that instance, that flash could pass as like a camera flash, like paparazzi. Oh, okay. Yeah. If you're not thinking about it. Yeah, exactly. And like, why would you think in that instance, like, oh, Someone's flashing a strobe light to discombobulate that driver so they crash. Like, you're not going to think that way. Yeah. Now, let's talk about Henri. Remember, this is the man that was driving the car. In this version of the story, he was not drunk at all. Instead, it's believed that pathologists switched out his blood samples during his autopsy. I mean, he was driving erratically, though. Like, even before ooh, this. Oh, oh, wait. <laughs> Just put a pin in that. So Henri's parents uh, joined Muhammad's legal team and said that they truly believe that version of the story. They believe that the blood samples were switched out because they were they, like, they, they knew that son, they didn't think he could do something like that. But at the same time, you know, they are parents that love their kids. They probably just didn't want to believe that their son whom they loved could be involved in the deaths of three people, including his own. Yeah. In that way, you know, in another version of this theory, Henri was drunk and Diana had no serious injuries in the crash. Mm -hmm. Remember, she was responsive when the first responders arrived. But when Philip got word that she was alive, he gave the order to kill her and make it look like her death was the result of her injuries, which is why she stayed on the scene for so long and why she was given that potentially lethal combination of drugs. But then how would that explain her heart? True. Also... So, like, what, the ambulance workers are not actually ambulance workers? No, they are. So, I mean, in this version of the story, it could explain why, like, it took so long to get her to the hospital, like, for the order to come in to take her to the hospital, like, for the approval. Um, and it could also explain why it took almost half an hour to get to the hospital and why they were ordered to drive slowly instead of quickly. Yeah. Um, and during this time, it's believed that, like, MI6 could have, you know, taken the opportunity to convince everyone that was on the scene not to say anything. And, like, it seems unlikely because that's a lot of regular people to keep quiet in a short period of time. However, Stop. I think we underestimate intelligence sometimes. Mm -hmm. Also, can I just um, 
backtrack like a, just a second to Henry. I feel yeah. like in this version Henry. of the Henri, sorry. Um, in this version of the story, he could still be drunk, which would explain why he was so disoriented by a strobe flash. And yeah, I mean, you can be just dis- like this is not just like flashing the flashlight on your iPhone. This is like strobe light. Um, yeah, yeah, like it, it's meant to be really, really bright and and yeah, and yeah. I mean, he was speeding. Like that's what I was talking about, though. Yeah. So like. So like he might not he might not have had anything to do with it purposely, but he still could have been drunk and driving erratically, and then it just kind of like got amplified. Yeah, definitely. Definitely, definitely. Um, so the former head of MI6, as well as an anom- anonymous former agent, only identified as Miss X, which I really like that pseudonym. Please refer to me as Miss X. <laughs> I think it's really cool. Um, they both denied that MI6 had anything to do with Diana's death, which, I mean, even if they did, of course they would deny it. Yeah, this right. doesn't mean shit. Um, Miss x even i almost said miss sex wow miss x uh even said that they didn't have files on Dodie and diana but they did have files on muhammad could she be lying a hundred percent and actually you're telling me that mi6 british intelligence didn't have a file on Diana, whom the royal family did not like. Yeah, that's yeah. Philip did not like. I like Dodie, I can believe, especially since the relationship was new. But Diana? Yeah. They definitely had a file on Diana. Come on. And like this again, it could be true, but it could also be attempt an attempt to try and discredit Muhammad since he is so integral in a lot of these theories because he truly believes that his son was murdered. So it could be MI6's attempt to be like, uh, well, no. Actually, look, no. Sorry. We have a file on this guy, so he's not trustworthy. Yeah. But there's another MI6 agent called Richard Tomlinson who testified in Operation Paget. So, a, like, proper testification? Tes- Is that the tes- noun? Uh, I don't know. Testimony. Testimony. <laughs> <laughs> testification. What am I on? Okay vodka whatever you're drinking (laughs) (laughs) i feel like that's what our first must our first merch should be testification Testification. (laughs) anyway um he said that the file that he had seen a file on Henri paul at mi6 and said that uh he Henri paul was an informant for mi6 this part of the theory claims that Henri was actually paid by MI6 to have a part in the crash that killed Diana. If he was an informant, this could very well be true. Remember, he wasn't a driver. Like, this wasn't his job. He was head of security at the Ritz. He wasn't even supposed to be working at the time that he left with Diana and Dodie because his shift had ended at 7 p.m. and they didn't leave until after midnight. So it wasn't like, a oh, you know, my shift just ended, but here, let me help you out. Just saying like he had been off for hours. And from 7 p.m. to 10 p.m., his whereabouts are completely unaccounted for. We don't know where he was. Wow, that's suspicious. Tis sus. Tis sus. Tis very sus. It would also make sense that he would be an informant because Tomlinson said that he had been an informant for a decade Because he was head of security at the Ritz in Paris. Imagine all of the big important people he would have close access to. It it makes total sense to me that he could be an informant for MI6. 
And actually, any head of security at any major hotel in the world, in any big city, could definitely be an informant for any intelligence agency. Like, don't give them any information. (laughs) Don't talk to them. According to this part of the theory, Henri met up with MI6 agents after his shift, which was normal, but this time, instead of asking him for information, they asked him for something different. MI6 would make sure that Dodie and Diana ate at the Ritz that night by sending agents posing as paparazzi to the restaurant where they were supposed to have dinner to force them to leave. Then... Henri would convince Dodie, who trusted him, because remember, Dodie's father owns the Ritz, so the head of security at the Ritz, like, come on, he's going to trust him. Yeah. yeah. Uh, convince him that instead of leaving the Ritz in his big, heavy, like, enfor- like reinforced car with all the regular bodyguards, that they should leave in the smaller, lightweight car-, car with only one bodyguard and take an indirect route back to the apartment to, quote, throw off the paparazzi. Hmm. Seems suspicious. Hmm. Seems very suspicious. The most important part here is that Henri had to make Dodie think that the whole plan was his idea. Otherwise, it would be way too easy for investigators to sniff out what actually happened, you know? But he he could have done that easily by being like, oh, you know, you shouldn't take that car uh, because the paparazzi already know it, you know? Very clever. Oh, no, no, don't take that car. Exactly. Like, it, that could very easily have been done, especially if he'd been an, infor- been an informant for 10 years. Like, he probably would have done some things, said some things to some people to try and manipulate them. Like, yeah, this he, he they wouldn't have trusted, like, a new informant with this sort of task. Before they left, the manager of the Ritz actually told Henri that he didn't have to drive because it literally wasn't his job. But Henri insisted. He was like, no, I, I'm going to drive them. I'm going to drive them. Like, why would you be so insistent if you're off the clock, have been off the clock for hours, and have been and drinking. it's literally not your job? They have drivers at the Ritz. Yeah. The head of security does not need to do it while he's not on the clock. But if you are being paid very well by MI6, could be good motivation. And they probably, like, if this is true, they could have so easily sold it to him, like, oh, like, you know... This isn't going to be immediate. Like, you're not going to get hurt. We can make sure of that. And he wouldn't have much reason to not trust them if he's been working with them for a decade, you know? Even if they had planned on him dying, they still could have convinced him that he wasn't going to. So as Henri sped towards the tunnel, he, in this version of the theory, he accidentally bumped into the Fiat Uno and then was thrown off by the flashing light and then lost control and crashed. It is confirmed that there was an MI6 team stationed in Paris on August 30th, 1997. MI6 was in Paris that day. Also, in an investigation, it was, it was, it was found that Henri, who only made 35,000 modern US dollars a year at his job, which seems light for the head of security at the Ritz in Paris. Yeah, it seems very light. But this was the 90s. So that yeah. now is probably like No, but like something. this is converted into Ameri- like modern American US dollars. Oh, then yeah, that is very weird. It's very light for that sort of job. But he had a total of 420,000 US dollars, again, by today's money, spread out between 15 bank accounts as well as 3000 US dollars on him the night of the crash who carries 3000 dollars around just to for like for fun 
that maybe could have been uh, like a deposit on what MI6 was going to pay him for this job, maybe. Mm. Could be something like that. Um, so it's widely speculated that he made all this money because he was an informant, because there's no way he made that sort of money at his actual regular job. Yeah. Henri's parents said that they didn't, that he didn't have that kind of money because he had recently asked them for a loan. But I'm like, you know, it would kind of, if they didn't know he was an informant, it would make sense because it would kind of hold that image of he doesn't make enough money at his job. And he could ask for a loan because he would be able, he knows he would be able to pay it back, you know? Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't know. Like Henri's parents, I think just really want to protect his image after death. And I don't blame them for a second. I'm not trying to criticize them. They experienced a horrible loss, but I don't, I don't necessarily trust what they say. But there was further evidence that Henri was involved. So a security camera that was on the street behind the Ritz captured Henri waving at the paparazzi seven minutes before the group of four left the hotel. And reportedly, he'd had five communications with the press during the hour before all of them left. That's weird. Tomlinson also testified that one of the paparazzi that was there that night was a part-time agent. It's like, this is a testimony that a testification that is in <laughs> Operation Paget. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit more about Tomlinson. In his swarm affidavit, he described how in 1992, he was part of an MI6 mission in Serbia to take out the president that was there at the time. And that MI6 had three separate plans. So like three different ways that they could do it, depending on what opportunities presented themselves. In one of those plans, in the third plan, actually, um, they would arrange for the Serbian president's limousine to crash in a tunnel uh, and that one of the ways to cause the crash would be to discombobulate the driver by using a strobe flash. Does that sound familiar, maybe? That's weird. That sounds a little bit. quite familiar. Strobe flashes are apparently used to disorientate helicopter pilots and like terrorists and shit and MI6 agents, agents are taught how to use them in their training. Apparently, according to Tomlinson. Hmm. <laughs> they did not end up using this plan on the Serbian president. So Tomlinson thinks that it was recycled, for lack of a better word, for Diana's death. Today, high-ranking MI6 agents say that Tomlinson is a conspiracy theorist and that MI6 had no part in the crash that killed Diana. But of course you would say that. Like, come on. Although uh, technically everyone's a conspiracy theorist in this case. Mm-hmm. pretty much yeah so so i'm gonna lay out a few more weird things about this again if you want to know more there is this is a complete rabbit hole in the internet you can get lost for days in it um but there are some other odd things that i think are notable and that we should address in the tunnel where the crash happened there were 14 cctv cameras and not one of them captured the crash weird they were they were all pointing in not the right direction or not working there were also cctv cameras on the route from the ritz to the tunnel um and i believe only one of them got any pictures but it was privately owned and those pictures have never been released why do you think 
Maybe someone told them to uh, get rid of those pictures. Or paid them off. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So officially, that Fiat Uno that keeps popping up was never found. Officially, it was never found. But Muhammad said that it belonged to a man named Jean-Paul James Anderson and that he had been watching Diana and Dodie for like weeks leading up to the crash. Anderson did own a white Fiat Uno. But the investigator said that it wasn't the one described that night. And I'm like, okay, but it's the same make, model, and color. It's very so weird. is it the license plate? Like, do be more specific, but they're just like, no, that that that's not it. That's not the Did one. Did they find if that car had ever had ever had any damage on it? They never found officially that that car has never been found. The one that he owned? But and and all they said was that, that that's not the one. That's not the one that was oh. described. So it can't be it. That's all that's all that was said. Weird. Very, right? very odd. Yeah. But in two thousand Andenson was found decapitated in his car, and his death was ruled a suicide. Bro. Hello? How do you decapitate yourself? Yeah, that's right? reminding me of that uh, one case we did where they were like, it was like accidental death. Oh, I do remember that one. You can't just like, it is hard to decapitate a person. Like, let alone do yeah, it to yourself, alone yourself. Yeah, right, accidentally. No. Yeah. yeah. And also, if so, you did that to yourself, there's no way, like, you couldn't finish it. Like, you couldn't fully decapitate. Right? What the fuck? But they said it was uh, a suicide because there was a note. Mm. Like, what? Fuck off. Who decapitates Unless themselves? you were found in a guillotine. The, like, you can't, <laughs> right? like, how would you decapitate yourself in a car? Exactly. It makes no sense. No. So another thing that is worth noting is that Diana was not wearing her seatbelt that night, which her friends said was so out of character for her. She was very safety conscious. She always was like, hey, put on your seatbelt. She wasn't wearing a seatbelt that night. That's me. I have nothing else to say there. I'm really weird when people don't wear seatbelts. If I ever like something suspicious happens to me and I wasn't wearing a seatbelt. Investigate. Investigate. Because the only time if like maybe she was adjusting herself or something, I don't know. But, like, no one was wearing a seatbelt. And, like, I have nothing else to add there. It's just I feel like it's worth noting that it was out of character for her. Um, Another thing is that Diana's body was embalmed, like, really quickly, almost too quickly. And it's believed that they did that to make testing for things like pregnancy impossible. Because they couldn't do an autopsy because she had to be presentable for her funeral. Because she had a royal funeral. And so, and the the medical people that were there said that they had to do it quickly because the heat was deteriorating her body too quickly. And I'm like, okay, but you're in a hospital. Don't you have a morgue? What about all the other bodies? Does it smell really bad in there? Like you should fix that. Yeah. Why are you embalming this one so quickly? That's weird. It's really weird. There's a reason why there's like standard procedures for stuff like that. Exactly. Muhammad actually tried to have a movie made about what happened that night. And it was going to be called Unlawful Killing. But that movie was completely swept under the rug. And that seems sus to me. And it also screams of the royals because there is not one famous family out there that is better at sweeping controversy under the rug than the royals. Yeah. They are masters of it. 
And one last thing, and this is the most like holy fuck thing. In 1996, Diana wrote a letter to her butler, Paul Burrell. And in the letter, she said this, and I quote, I'm sitting at my desk here in October, longing for someone to hug me and encourage me to keep strong and hold my head high. This particular phase in my life is the most dangerous. My husband is planning an accident in my car, brake failure and serious head injury in order to make the path clear. This is 100% real. She wrote this. So it is verified. Charles, though, then? Yeah. Like, the theory is that Philip ordered, ordered all the hits. Mm-hmm. But Charles still knew about it. Because Charles is relatively close to his father. Yeah. And Diana was actually really paranoid that the royals wanted her gone, like dead. And she even expressed this to Muhammad. And that's all I've got for you today. It has been a while. We have gone on a journey together. Wow. This is the longest recording we've ever done. And I'm sorry, but I just couldn't. I couldn't. I could not make this compact. I know, no it's matter hard. how Just hard I try, there's so much information. Yeah, there's so much information, and like I only barely scratched the surface. Yeah. If you are really interested, the MI6 theory is layers, layers, yeah. and layers deep. I highly, highly recommend that documentary, Diana, in her own words, because I oh, think yeah. I've watched it more than once. I think I've watched it at least two times. And it's just it's so kind interesting of eerie to hear her say all those things yeah, as well. They're recordings of her and to like hear her say it in her own words is yeah is just and you get her yeah. like feelings and emotion on it so and it just all seems so genuine like she is yeah. not faking it she really struggled in the royal family yeah at one point you didn't mention this but um at one point she like threw herself down a flight of stairs because it was just like too much and it i just feel but so she bad. was pregnant with william and she yeah. was trying to get charles's attention yep she had it really, really bad. And so, yeah, that do- that documentary, I highly recommend. You can find it on YouTube or on Netflix, depending on your country. It's out there. You can find it really easily. Highly, highly, highly recommend. You can also look more into all these theories. The MI6 theory is like, it's like the biggest onion in the world. There's so many layers to it. I just went with the parts that I think are the most plausible. And honestly, with this conspiracy theory, like, I believe the conspiracy theories a bit more than the truth. The truth just seems too simple. And there are too many gaps in the story as well. Yeah. And how can someone decapitate themselves? That is, that's the biggest, that's the biggest thing, honestly. You can't. You can't. You can't. No. Unless you Like have, you said, like, unless it's a guillotine, yeah, it's just, it's that's like not going to happen. unless it's rigged up and it's very obvious, like, you can't, like, you can't decapitate yourself while just sitting in a car. There was, uh, like, someone else reported that he was found in his car, and it was also it was still ruled a suicide, but, like, he had been burned, like, the car was on fire when it was found, and I still find that hard to believe for suicide. No, I don't want to say no one burns themselves alive for suicide, but... Seems just, unlikely. Yeah, it just, it doesn't seem plausible. All right, but that's all I've got today. I need... Honestly, I kind of need another drink after talking about all of this. (laughs) A nice bedtime drink. Yeah. Who wants to send us off? Well, uh, thanks for being our lovely Patreon people. 
Um, our PPs. <laughs> we love you. We hope that you learned something new, and we hope you've enjoyed your stay here at True Crime International. Bye. Bye. Bye.